Hello, and welcome to another episode of Hired Delightful's podcast series, Exit Interviews. In this series, we talk to people about their last day on the job, what they learned, and what they're going to be doing differently in their next job. So we put a call out on Twitter, got a ton of retweets and a ton of fascinating people reaching out and saying, hey, I just put in my two weeks notice. I'm starting a new job. I'd love to talk about what I learned. One of those people was Skylar. And oh my God, I'm so glad he was the first the first person that we got to interview because he is absolutely fascinating. He's a VP of a local bank, put in his two weeks notice, talked about what he learned there, as well as just a ton of other stuff. So without further ado, without spoiling too much, I'm just going to jump into it. Here's our conversation with Skylar. I am a member of the Eastern Shawnee Tribe of Oklahoma. It's a small tribe originally from Ohio. We were relocated by the government from Ohio back in the 1800s to northeastern Oklahoma. Uh, so my tribe is pretty progressive and pretty successful with their businesses. We've got a few casinos and a hotel that we own. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a, another investment that they made was into a local community bank called People's Bank. Seneca, which is a small community bank. And so my tribe invested in that and took a 56% ownership stake. So I graduated from college with a business degree, went to work in banking. I was a mortgage lender for Wells Fargo in Kansas City. And I worked there for, I was in banking up there for about 10 years. And then my grandmother eventually became the chief of the tribe, which essentially means she's the CEO of an organization. Oh, wow. uh, it's, it's a lot less uh, figurehead position than what you might think. It's it's more of, of the she's she's the executive leader of the of the tribe, and she is in charge of kind of managing the day to day, setting up the staff, putting in management, all of those things, and all of the different entities that we have. And, and she was serving as the chairman of the board for the small community bank that we have as well, and so she. Uh, offered me the opportunity to come down and interview with that bank mm-hmm. and move back from Kansas City back to, to where I'm from, which is Southwest Missouri. And so I came down, interviewed, learned a lot about the bank, what they were trying to do. and felt like there was an opportunity there to become a little more involved with my tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also to get back home. I have two, I have two young uh, sons, so it was nice to be back around family as well. So I moved, uh, we moved down in 2013. I got a job as vice president for the community bank. Then I was also titled the tribal liaison. So I would work at any of the tribal business that was going on anytime there was any crossover or questions or anything that they needed. I would be the between, uh, between the tribe and the bank. Oh, wow. And yeah, it was interesting. From there, I got involved with the strategic planning committee for my tribe. Mm-hmm. Uh, we started started building out the you know three five and ten year visions of of the different ways that we wanted to diversify the tribe. Gambling is a tough business to be in, and mm-hmm. it's getting to be more and more open to everyone. And so we're trying to diversify out of gambling. There's nothing wrong with it; it's a good business for us. But we're trying to become a more diverse group in case they were to ever take away any of the advantages that we have in that space. And so that's what we did on the strategic planning committee. And I got involved there and really started to learn about some of the struggles that our tribe has. We have some low income tribal members. We have a lot of elder tribal members that rely mm-hmm. on the tribe. Tribal housing is a big part of, of need 
that our members are seeking. And so those were some things that I was able to help while working for the community bank that I was at. So that's kind of the, the real quick version of you know why I moved back to small rural southwestern Missouri to work for a tiny three-location community bank for my tribe. Wow, that's, uh, that's quite the background. That really is. That's fascinating. So, I, I mean... Well, there's a there, there's a ton of questions. I feel like we we like start getting into the interviews as soon as, as soon as I start talking through. I guess the the work and everything we kind of discussed before. Uh, it sounds you that is kind of like your day job. You also kind of mentioned in your spare time. You know, you run, you lift weights. You're a dad. How's that been? Just kind of as far as like moving back to you know, sure the Midwest. As far as, as the family side of it, it's been great. And all of my family is from here and lives here. Oh, okay. Uh, I've, got, I've got a sister that's, that's up in Kansas City now. Her and I kind of replaced each other, it seems like. <laughs> I moved down and she, she moved up. But I've got another brother and sister here, and then my mom and dad are here. And so it's great. The, the family side is, is great. I mean, I've got seven and three are my, oh. uh, my son's ages. And so... They're a lot of fun. It's good to have them around family and be, be around here. As far as my, my hobbies, and I, I, one thing that's been a, a real transition, I'm a big craft beer fan like most folks are. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a desert here. You have to you gotta drive about an hour to get to anywhere worth going to. And so there's just adjustments in your lifestyle. The <laughs> well, that's just an opportunity. I mean, yeah, sure. new hobby, home brewing. <laughs> Yeah, I enjoy that. I, that's one of the reasons I started doing it. I can't find a lot of the beer that I like around here, so figured all <laughs> That's fantastic. How uh, so? Are you how how deep in it are you? Like how many how many uh, is it kegs or casks or like what? Uh, no, so I'm I'm just bottling right now. I'm You're bottling, making, okay? Yeah, I'm just bottling. I've, I've made I don't know a couple hundred bottles, two different styles so far. Oh wow. Lager, uh, IPA, like what? What's your? Uh, uh, I'm actually making saisons both times. Oh man, so, I'm a huge saison yeah. fan. <laughs> You're speaking Zach's language right there. Yeah, uh. that's that's more my style. I enjoy that. So eventually, I'd like to end up to doing some barrel aging. And I found a guy that lives about ten miles up the road from me that, that does his own like wild fermentation projects, and he's growing his own yeast culture. Wow, really, really cool stuff. Yeah, so I'm hoping to start brewing with him a little bit. That's fantastic. It's, yeah, living here is, is an adjustment, though. It's just not, I mean, Kansas City, not that Kansas City is a big town or any, any stretch, but I mean, I lived in Melbourne, Australia for, for a semester in college. So I've been, I've been around a bit, and there's not much here, but mm-hmm. that's kind of why I like Twitter. I mean, it, one, of the, one of my passions, because it's easier to connect to folks across the country and globe in areas that you're interested in. So without, without Twitter, it would be a struggle here, but it's good. That's fantastic. I came from a pretty rural area in Texas, and that was absolutely my experience as well. Now I'm kind of in a little bit, I'm, a, I'm in a more populated area of Colorado. So, but it's East, I mean, like East Texas. So very definitely, definitely understand kind of using Twitter and, and social media as a way to kind of stay I mean, connected, but then also just kind of serendipitous, right? Like you meet, I mean, like we did, right? Yeah. Like we met, we, you meet amazing people from all it over. Is, it is un- unreal the things that I've gotten to do and the people that I've met through Twitter. I mean, it's unbelievable. So that's so yeah, I cool. Tell, I could tell another four hours of the stories there. <laughs> I, tell you, 
I started a campaign on Twitter a few years ago. Dogfish Head out of Delaware is one of my favorite breweries, and they weren't in great. Missouri. Yeah, they didn't distribute in Missouri, so I started a campaign hashtag DFB to KC at the time <laughs> I was in KC. I tweeted them every single day for literally like three and a half years or something. <laughs> uh, but they they finally came to Missouri, and Sam Sam Calzioni, the owner and founder. Came and him and I co-hosted an event, a launch party in the city, and got to meet all kinds of beer folks across Missouri. And was, was the one that was credited with bringing Dogfish Head to Missouri. This so, was a this was a three and a half year campaign. Yeah, it, was, it took a while. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, it's neat though. Now I can walk into pretty much any craft beer bar in the whole state and introduce myself as the, the Dogfish guy. Everybody knows who I'm. Do you get, please tell me you get free Dogfish beers out of it too, right? I have. I've gotten some okay. friends with the, the rep in, in Kansas City. I know him, him now. And so I get random merchandise and stuff like that. Oh, that's, that's so a cool. Case study in Twitter yeah. and also perseverance. Seriously. Like yeah. I want to, I, I want to, I want to yeah. use Twitter as effectively and as well as you. So this, this may oh, be something great. that we, this may be like yeah. an off, off, uh, offline conversation as well. Cause that's amazing. <laughs> Sure. It was, it was crazy. And the, the local distribution company in Kansas City ended up designing, co-designing a logo with me and it turned it into a billboard. So there's a billboard in Kansas City for a while, the, the hashtag with the logo. It was it got pretty wild for a little bit. But, That's amazing. Yeah, it's great. Huh. So. Well, I'm, I'm supposed to, I got a buddy in Kansas City. I'm supposed to visit him in a couple of months. So uh, if you, if it's still up, tell me where to, tell me where to look. No, it's, it's, it. it's down now, but uh, okay. I have, I have one hanging in my living room. Oh, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Yeah, Kansas City's great. I, it, I'm it excited is. to visit it. It's, it's supposed to be yeah. really cool. So yeah. Oh, I was just gonna. I was just gonna kind of jump into it. Like, what? I mean, what yeah. gets you up in the morning? Like, is this field that you're spe- specifically in? It sounds like I have a question. It's like basically, is this a job or is this a calling? Like, it feels like it's it's kind of a calling for you, man. Is that accurate? Uh, yeah. So what I do now, I the the when I was at the community bank, things were great. But the thing about banking generally is hmm. it's very old fashioned. And they are very slow to adapt and adjust to the, to the times. And that is amplified in community, mm-hmm. uh, even more so. Community banks are just generally, they're conservative and slow to move and, and slow to change. And that got to be very frustrating for me. There were all kinds of different ideas and different things that I wanted to do to try and change the perception of our bank. And those were all but ignored completely. It just wasn't in in the strategic plan of the bank. They were showing healthy, healthy revenue growth year over year. They felt like their customer base was solid. They were doing fine. And they didn't want to really take much risk. And so that that kind of goes against, you know, me. I, I just I, I need to move fast pace. I need change. I want to do fun and interesting things and push the limits of what may or may not a bank may or may not do. And so it just wasn't, you know, after years of, of me trying to convince them to do different, different things. Like, I, for example, I wanted to open a coffee shop that happened to have a bank in it, but it was a coffee shop. So if you wanted to come in and have a cup of coffee and then maybe you had a question about a mortgage loan, there would be a mortgage lender sitting in his office in there. And you could sit at a table in a coffee shop and talk comfortably. I actually feel like some larger banks are actually starting to do that now. They they are. City, I think City City uh, launched 
their their coffee shops, which was that that was a couple of years after I'd been pressing it. And so then of course I started sending their, their campaigns over and still fell on deaf ears. A subtle a subtle nudge. And it's validating yeah. to know, hey, I'm not crazy. Like this is a thing. Did you find that you were the only person in the organization that was pushing the envelope, or was there a group of people that felt the same way and it was maybe a little bit more of the the higher management culture just to stay steady and conservative? So we were a very small and lean organization. We had, when I left, we had four branches, I believe. Yeah, four branches open. We had about 33 employees. Most of those employees were a little older, you know, middle aged to getting a little closer to retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, there weren't there weren't a lot of, of younger people, especially younger people in decision making roles. Mm-hmm. So we, we had a few tellers that were that were younger than me. You know, we had one other girl that was my age that she, she kind of aligned with a lot of what I wanted to do. But generally, the the consensus across the bank was like, maybe we should market a little bit more. But that's about it. I mean, I, I come back to the coffee shop idea. Like, I threw that out there. I mean, it would be blank stares pretty much across the board. Hmm. And so that was just kind of the nature of it. And over time, I just realized, I mean, this if I really want to be somewhere where I can do different types of things and have, have more fun. You know, I wanted to have the craft beer mortgage minute where I would crack open a craft beer, film a video, drink a beer, and talk about a, a, a product, a mortgage loan product on, you know, Facebook Live or whatever. And those types of things just didn't make sense to them. And so that's fine. They, they, I'd watch that. You know, yeah, sure. You know, that's the thing. I want to try and make those sorts of things more relatable mm-hmm. because... A lot of people don't understand mortgage loans, but they don't really want to ask the questions. They try and Google it, and maybe they find the right information, maybe they don't. I feel like if they talk to a real lender, they're going to be sold, and they don't know if they're going to be able to trust the information. Right. What do you think the ideas that you came up with would have added to the business in in a way that may not have appeared immediately on on the income statement? So, yeah, their revenues were growing, their customer base was stable. The ideas that you brought, what, how would have that affected the business overall, do you think, in the long run? Sure. So I'm, I'm 34. So I'm the, the older end of the, the millennial generation. And we are becoming homeowners now. We're kind of the, you know, the, the, that age group is kind of the first time home buyers slash people like my age on the upper end of it are, are maybe looking to upgrade into their second home. They tend to not have quite as much money as the older generations, but we, we have established careers now. We have the ability to buy homes. And so I think if they would have moved on some of the things that I was talking about, we had an opportunity to position ourselves as the bank for those, those folks. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, you know, over time, if we could have done some of those things, I think we really would have saw growth in that demographic. And could have been, you know, started to brand ourselves as the, you know, the bank of the younger generation and, you know, do fun things like craft beer happy hours and post, you know, concert series and that kind of thing. And, and there, there's no banks in our area in, you know, southwestern Missouri that are targeting that specifically. So I looked at it like this is an this is an opportunity to, to go after a group that nobody else is going after. Yeah, that makes sense. And I think. Yeah, I think we would have done that. I mean, you you earn that business when when they're young, and hopefully you can form lifelong 
connections. Mm-hmm. And it seems like something that a community bank would have to continuously reinvest in anyways, because, you know, as your client population ages, there there is a biological limit to that. Sure. Yeah. And so so yeah, that was that was one one side of the issues that I had. The, the other the other thing I ran into is that so my tribe, like I mentioned, has issues with housing. Mm-hmm. And there is a – most everybody's familiar with the government mortgage loan called an FHN. It's the most common mortgage loan in the country. Generally, if you're going to buy a house, you're probably going to get an FHA loan for your first Okay. Loan. Yep. So there are a few other government loans. You can get a VA loan if you're a veteran. If you're buying in a rural area, you can get what's called a rural development loan or a USDA loan, mm-hmm. which is it's another government-insured loan. And then there's one other one that's a little bit more unique called a Section 184 loan. And that one is specific to Native Americans. It was actually created. A lot of tribes have reservations. For example, the Navajo tribes, reservations about the size of West Virginia. Hmm. It's absolutely massive. And so the problem with that is if you're a tribal member and you live on a reservation, a bank won't loan on that land because that's sovereign ground. That's technically not the United States, and they don't have the authority to foreclose on that property. Hmm. So wow. if you're a tribal member, you want to get a loan, banks won't lend there because the risk is, is incredible. So the 184 loan is government backed. So a bank can, can lend a 184 loan on that. And if that loan goes bad, the 184 program can step in and cover that bank's losses. So now tribal members living on reservation land are eligible to become homeowners just like everyone else in the country. So it's, it's an interesting product. We didn't offer it at the bank, and I saw an opportunity. Our little area, right across the line, we're right on the Oklahoma line. And over in Oklahoma, there's a county called Ottawa County, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. which is just to the west of, of Joplin, Missouri, and southwest Missouri. And it, it has the distinction of having the most federally recognized tribes in one county in any county in the United States. So there's nine federally recognized tribes headquartered in Ottawa County. So there's a real saturation of tribes right in that small area. So I believe that if you could offer 184 loans and brand that program correctly, you not not just help my tribe, but I, I could find opportunity with a lot of tribes uh, locally. And I really thought there was a good opportunity there, but the I was just never able to get the higher ups to act on it mm-hmm. and. They were. They would. Anytime I would ask or would bring it up, they were supportive of that. But they would, when it pushed him to shove, and I'm ready to start actually getting certified and figure things out. It just it never happened. I could never get. I could never get that program off the ground. Hmm. That was. I mean, the, the opportunity there for them and, and for me as a lender, but then also the opportunity to uh, help out tribal members in need with homeownership. I mean, there, like I said, there's a lot of low income, there's a lot of elderly and they need help and, and they need a more diverse offering of financing to buy and become homeowners. And so that's what I was, that, that's kind of another benefit of doing that. So I just could never get that off the ground. Hmm. So, I'm, and it sounds like as you sort of continue to, to work with the, with the higher ups and you kind of identified opportunities and it didn't, you know, it, it there was a lot of talk and not necessarily as much action as you had hoped. Is that kind of how you started identifying that your time was winding down there? Or like kind of just describe what that off-ramp looked like and felt like? 
So I have, there's, an, there's another guy that, that actually lived in the same small town as me, but he was a lender for another company, a bigger mortgage broker. And I knew him very well. And, and one day he just came in and, and said, it was, it was just purely coincidental, but he just came in. So when are you going to come over and work for us? And we want to start doing these 184 loans because we just lost our 184 loan. Hmm. And I mean, immediately I perked up. I was like, well, that's interesting that you say that. And so we got to talking and I got to researching his company and they aren't a bank. They're a broker. So also all that that company does is, is broker the mortgage loans. Mm-hmm. So they're just mortgage experts. That's all they do. And they were a lot more progressive. And I could tell they were very fast moving. They embraced technology. They're all in on, on you know, being able to do applications online and paying for the latest and greatest credit simulators to work to fix people's credit. And it was just like everything that they did was far more advanced and they were willing to invest in tech and they were willing to listen to new ideas and open to taking risks. And so that was more appealing to me. The more I thought about it, I just I just saw more opportunity there to grow, to create and then grow a Section 184 program to start helping out tribes. So that that, that kind of got me thinking about it. And then the last piece that really uh, kind of sealed the deal for me to put in my my two weeks and make a move was that my tribe, which my grandma's the chief, so we, we're set up similar to how the government is. We have an executive branch, a legislative branch, and a judicial branch. And so my grandma's the chief, so she's basically the president. She's the head of the executive branch, essentially. Mm-hmm. But our legislative body, we call the business committee, but it's, it's a committee of elected officials who pass new laws, who are responsible for monitoring the success of the tribe and, and making you know business investments, keeping track of our business investments, making sure things are running smoothly. And you aren't allowed to sit on that committee if you're an employee of the tribe. So you have to be separate from the tribe and then you're allowed to sit there. So hmm. if I... Working at the bank, which was tribally owned, was kind of a, made it tough for me to get on that legislative body. So by moving companies, I knew that I could run. So when I made the move, I'm actually in the middle of an election right now. Oh, wow. So I'm running. Yeah, I mean, I, I made a move a month and a half ago, and there was a position on that, that council, and so I'm running. So we'll see how that goes. But that, that was kind of the other factor is that it, by, by coming over to the new company, I was no longer an employee in any sense with the tribe so that I could You're run. eligible so to run then. It seems a little ironic to me, actually, that the tribe was owned the bank, and yet there wasn't as much interest in the tribal loan program. It, I think part of it comes back to just all the what I talked about. They're just slow to move yeah. and not necessarily motivated because revenues are strong. Mm-hmm. And when revenues are strong, why, you know, why try and fix what's not broken oh, fair maybe, enough. maybe with the mindset you know yeah and, and they they may have viewed it as, as potentially capital intensive but I, I never got a straight answer <laughs> and, and that was that was part of the problem too is that I, I felt like I, my ideas weren't hurtful so when uh, I guess uh, one question that we sort of have to ask given the name of the interview series did they give you an exit interview when you left not only did I not have an exit interview at, at no point while working there did we ever have like an annual review. I would ask for, for goals. Could we set some goals? What am I trying to do here? What am I trying to accomplish? Could we sit down and talk about how I'm doing? <laughs> am I performing up to par? 
Uh, we didn't, they, they didn't have any of that. And so naturally they didn't have an exit interview either. There was no opportunity for me to give any feedback of any kind with why I left. How was feedback managed at the organization then? Not well. There, there wasn't a formalized model of how to present feedback or what that loop looks like back and forth. If you have ideas, suggestions, concerns, it was kind of a gray area. There, there was some opportunity there to improve that, that system. Was it informal or did they just sort of, was it an email? Was it just kind of a hallway conversations or was it just sort of, there was no real system? Not, not really. No, mo- most, most ideas that I would submit, I would type out because I, I wanted to make sure and convey my, you know, the, in the best way. I, w- I would usually convey the message through email and then ask for a follow-up mm-hmm. to discuss. And it, it was few and far between that those happened. Like I said, profit was strong. Revenues were good. Everybody generally seemed to be doing their job. And so it almost felt like those sorts of things were forgotten about, mm-hmm. which makes me wonder if the economy were to turn and the bank were to struggle, I would imagine that they would make that more of a priority. Mm-hmm. It was just interesting to see, you know, when, when things are good, the what gets left by the wayside, the things that you stop doing. You know, for everyone that works there, I hope the economy doesn't tank and <laughs> that they, they don't have to worry about that stuff. And if they do, hopefully uh, <laughs> they'll listen to our podcast and get ideas. <laughs> they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll see the light. Yeah, but no, there, there's a, a good exit interview, I think, would, would go a long way. But, but then building a system to follow up on those, you know, those findings is, is important as well. You don't want to do an exit interview just for the sake of doing one. Right, right. So That's so true. I mean, so out of curiosity, I mean, let's, let's say that those feedback systems were in place. Is there something that they could have done in the time that you were there that you would have considered staying or did you was it just kind of shifting uh, circumstances yeah i mean potentially the really the 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 idea of getting more involved with my tribe kind of that that's kind of something that they couldn't overcome i mean i i couldn't be active on my tribe's legislative council and work right. there so that's that's an issue but there's not much they could have done there but if they would have been a little more open to some of the ideas, I probably would have, would have stuck around more, or at least either just gave me some feedback. Right. So, you know, no, it, it was just tough, tough to get the whole management team on board with what I was looking at. Looking at your time there, what do you think were the, the big lessons, experiences that you took away from, from that gig? Well, you know, it was all, right out of the gate, it was sink or swim. There, there wasn't any real training or ramp up period. Literally, the lender that I replaced left on a Friday, and I started on a Monday. And go and, and here's here's a portfolio. Here's your here's your folks. Good luck. And so, getting thrown into that fire was really gave me confidence. Like looking back, you know, our confidence that, that I can dive into something and. and you know, hit, hit the ground running and figure it out as I go. Uh, so that was good. And then over time, just being in my small community and seeing the impact of the work that I was doing uh, was encouraging. So, for example, I would make a construction loan for repairs on a home to a customer in my small town. And then three months later, I would drive by and the house would look great and, and it made the community look better. And so having like that tangible 
benefit was really interesting. And that, that's really where I realized the potential of the work that I was doing, mm-hmm. which is why, you know, from being there and seeing those things is why I really started to focus more on my tribe. I realized there's, there's a lot of opportunity there for, for uh, improvement and growth and, and positive change that I can, I think I can bring to the tribe. And so my time at the bank, at the local bank, working with the local community is really what opened my eyes to, to that and the impact that you can have. So if you have a career, uh, you're, you're going to work. Generally, people are going to work 40 to 50 hours a week for 30 to 40 years. That's, that's America. That's the dream. <laughs> so why not, why not do, do something where you can make a real impact? And so I think that's the lesson I learned at that, that job is that you really can make an impact with what you're doing with your career. It's interesting. Uh, I've I've worked in software most of my life, and most of my customers have been all over the world. Mm -hmm. And it's it has been a point where I've noticed that I don't get to see the the output as much Mm -hmm. as if you could drive down the street and see a business that you helped provide a loan for, a home that was repaired. Yeah, I can see where that would be very fulfilling. Out of curiosity, did you do anything different for the person that would be replacing you in your role to make their onboarding easier or do you think that the you left on a friday and they came in on a monday and had the same sort of sink or swim scenario a little uh i did i did make it very clear i said hey there's 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 a lot of people in this portfolio that know me very well they're going to have questions you're going to have questions i was like email me text me call me anytime something weird pops up or you don't understand or you're trying to figure out the structure of the loan and that that communication channel is still open. Mm-hmm. The new lender there still messages me occasionally, like, "Hey, what's the what's the background on so and so?" They popped up, and I'm very willing to help. I, so, I, being a tribal member that of a tribe that owns that owns the majority share of the bank, I kind of view that meaning that I essentially am a shareholder still. So, even though I'm not there anymore, I'm not an employee. I still have an ownership interest in their because I'm a member of the tribe that's getting dividends off of the success of that bank. Hmm. So I'm still very, very willing to help. Uh, and, I, and I still am I mean, in contact with them. I've actually been working. I found out an interesting opportunity with the 184 loan. When you, when you make a mortgage loan, government-backed mortgage loan, uh, I'm sure you guys have heard the phrase of mortgage-backed security. Mm-hmm. Mortgage-backed securities are what a lot of people give credit to. The, the bulk of the collapse in 2008 were the mortgage-backed securities amplified all of the downfall in the mortgage industry. But what essentially what a mortgage-backed security is, is it's a, it's a bundle of mortgage loans that are sold to an investor. And so those 184 loans, when you close those loans, those are actually a pretty good investment because they're, number one, they're backed by a tribe because those houses are on tribal land tribes have an interest in the homes that are on the land. And number two, they're backed by the government because they're, they're a guaranteed loan by the federal government. So it's fairly risk-free investment for folks. And so I found an opportunity for my old bank to actually become the investor on those 184 loans. So if I was able to originate them with my current company as a broker, I could then turn back around and sell them back to my old employer. And they would own those on the back end and then manage the payments and see the interest returns over time on those loans. So 
I guess I'm, I'm still trying, even though I'm not there anymore. I'm still trying to find ways to work with them and help them. I really like the sense of community around the tribe. Mm-hmm. I mean, in theory, a lot of us actually are part owners of many companies through our 401ks, mutual funds. But we don't seem to apply the same sense of cooperation and and ownership that you were just expressing. It's kind of interesting. I think a lot of it is is scale. It's, it's the same as me making small loans in my community and seeing the impact versus you writing software for someone someone in Germany. I mean, it's harder to see that 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 personal relationship's not there in, in your four hundred one k. You know, you don't you don't know the folks over at Apple directly. And so, you know, it's a little different, but that personal relationship is still there for me. So yeah, that's a good point. Makes it a little easier. Yeah, but, but no, it's, it, there is a sense of community to it all, for sure. To close this section out, I, I have one last question. It would essentially be, if we rewound time and you had to start that job, the, the previous job again, day one, what is the one thing that you would change? I probably would have... Looking back, I, I now I know the things I wish I would have accomplished. So I would have been more direct in setting my goals because I would have known where I wanted to get mm-hmm. to. When I first started there, I didn't fully understand the opportunities between the bank and the tribe and the ways that I could help members of my tribe with my job. I didn't understand any of that dynamic. And so I, I was just in there. You know, this is this is cool. I got a good job. This is fun. I've got a portfolio. I'm calling customers trying to make loans, and that was it. So I think I would have been much more direct with with my goals with management up front, saying like these are the big picture things I want to accomplish. Mm-hmm. I realize that, 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 that these are big, and then there's years of work to go into these. But this is what I want to get done, and so it wouldn't have been shocking or surprising when I when I'm coming to them with these ideas down the road, they would have known from the start. And it, maybe it would have impacted their decision to bring me on board. I'm not sure. But uh, if it would have, and they decided to not move forward, that would have been frustrating at the time. But it would have saved you know, saved me the, the time and effort of not being able to accomplish those goals. So are the goals that on the next, on this new, this kind of this new career, this new job that you're sort of embarking on, are you doing a lot of that work that you kind of just described with the previous job? Are you kind of coming to it with like a a three, a five, and a 10-year plan? I am. I'm having a little bit of pushback initially just because this company's a lot bigger, mm-hmm. first off. And so dealing with, with upper management, I mean, they're, I don't see them every day. I don't know them very well. They're in a different city from where I am. And so that it is a little bit harder, but I've been very clear from day one I want to do these things. And then the thing that I've done here that I didn't do there is I've already started acting on it. So I've reached out. Uh, the 184 program is a is managed by HUD, uh, Housing and Urban Development. And so I found my closest HUD representative for 184. She offices over in Oklahoma City. I've already opened up dialogue with her. I've said, look, this is the program I'm trying to build here. I made introductions with her and upper management. I'm like, hey, this is the lady that knows how to do what it is that I want to get done. So you need to talk to her. I want to talk to her. We need, we need to open these conversations mm-hmm. up. And then I've also already gone out and have been selling the idea to local tribes. I've been very clear. Like, hey, this none of you guys are taking advantage of this program and you need to. 
and I'm working on it. So I want to maintain communication. So I've just been a lot more vocal and also been a lot more active in making those goals a reality uh, here. I've only been here, you know, two months, but it's, it's, it's a priority. What are the things that your new organization are doing during your first 90 days, seeing as, you know, you haven't even quite reached that mark yet, that you think your old organization could learn from and improve? Sure. So they here, they are fantastic with training. So I've, I spent, I spent the entire first 30 days shadowing out of the officer. So everywhere he went, I was there for the whole the first 30 days. I would just, just as luck, luck would have it. He lived about a mile down the road from me, which is really weird when you think about it. Cause I live from the middle of nowhere. <laughs> I just so happened that he he lives there as well. And so, I mean, I would show up at his house at 8.15 in the morning and get in the car every, every day for 30 days, just shadowing his day and listening, learning. And now I still shadow him a couple of days a week. I've got an entire team. We've got you know seven lenders on the team now that I'm in constant communication with. Got one assistance, processors, trainers. Everyone is there anytime I have a question. And it's constant training. Uh, so I, I've learned more in a month and a half here than I learned six years ago. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. So, yeah, it's just a flood of information. What, what form does the training take? Is that, I mean, do you do Well, you other than the them? shadowing. But. Yeah, other than the shadowing, right? Yeah. So one interesting thing they do, they don't use Slack here. They use Google Hangouts. But we have Google Hangouts. Like one of them is, is literally just called loan officers. And any loan officer in the group has a question, they post it. And then all kinds of loan officers follow up with feedback. They'll post, you know, regulations out of the, the federal guidebooks and all kinds of things. And that is constant. So even on Saturdays and Sundays, there's this constant flow on my iPhone of Google Hangout notifications of just people asking questions. And so it's literally just a constant flow of learning there, which is great. Yeah, I mean, it never ends. If, if you're a lender and you need help, it's great. But if you're somebody like me just trying to learn, it's, it's a never-ending flow of, info, of information coming in. And at first, it was really overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like the first two weeks, I was like, what have I done? <laughs> I, get, I have an Apple Watch, and, and it's like constantly buzzing. And I'm like, eventually, I have to turn off the vibration. And I'm like, what's happening? But now I've kind of adjusted to it, and it's it's interesting. But it... it that's it. Just kind of learn as you go, I guess. I think that sounds like a great system that multiplies everyone's abilities and knowledge. That's that is a great training program and continuous support program. Yeah. That's that's exactly. It's it's a really interesting idea. It works out great for us. We're just big enough. Like so, my my company is fairly large. We have over a hundred lenders. We're in several states now. We're a big company. But my team is is only 17 people. We have seven lenders on my team. We're focused in Southwest Missouri. And my team is fantastic. And so that that's where most of the training is coming from. I'm, I'm fortunate that the lady that runs my team is the number two lender in the state of Missouri. She's an absolute rock star. And one of the reasons why I came over is because I was, I was told you'll have, you'll have unlimited access to her. And I like to learn from high performers. It's not just about their industry in general, but just their work habits. There's a lot of things you can take away from 
Mm-hmm. What's, what is one habit that you've already learned that you'd recommend other people adopting to be high performers? She seems to do a great job of being able to unplug. I mean, I, I notice times when she's just gone. And I'm like, how does she... Yeah, actually, I need to know how does she do that? <laughs> yeah, yeah she's, got, she, she's got five kids. It's, un, it's unreal. She's got five kids and she's, she's the top pr- producer in our entire company. And like, she's number two in the entire state of Missouri. She's an absolute mortgage all-star. And it's like weekends come and she's posting videos with her kids on Facebook, completely unplugged. So, she, yeah, she's just something to see. So just, just learning from somebody like that. Well, the experts do say that recharge time is very important. So it makes sense. Yeah. Yep. I'm terrible so, at it, but it makes sense. It's, it's hard. <laughs> it is. So. Wow. That's incredible. And one of the reasons I'm here, honestly, like I said, I just find somebody like that that's that successful. You want to be around it and learn from it as much as you can. That's so. excellent. How's the, so I, I, you know, the last segment, I guess, is just how's it going? We've, we've heard about how your job is going. How's the election going? It seems to be good. It's hard to say. So my, my tribe has about 3,500 members, but only about 500 or so. Mm-hmm. It's the entire election is done through the mail. So it's all, it's all mail and mm-hmm. ballots because our tribe's spread out across the whole country. We only have about 400 members that live here. Interesting. So it's, yeah, it's all over. So it seems to be doing well. Uh, my tribe. How do you even campaign over a population that's distributed yeah, that much? I, I, I literally mailed out a letter to every single registered address in the tribe. Fourteen hundred and two letters. I, I folded and sealed and stamped every envelope. No. There's something very authentic uh, about that that appeals to me, but I'm not sure it's going to work for the for the national elections. No, not at all. But, but yeah, so I, I did that. We have a private Facebook group for tribal members. So occasionally I'll, I'll post an idea in there of, you know, what, what I'm looking at. I've spent a lot of time thinking about, like, economic development for my tribe. I, I've got an MBA. So managing the businesses is, is appealing to me. And growing, growing the businesses and developing the tribal economy as a whole is something that I'm interested in and gone to a lot of conferences, watched a lot of videos, read a lot of books about growing tribal economies. And so I probably have a lot more thoughts than most candidates that run generally. I'm, I'm not saying all my thoughts are right or I'm the expert, but, I, but I've certainly thought a lot more about that. And that's kind of a niche thing, right? Like growing a Native American tribe's economy. It's kind of a really niche idea to to think about. And so it's, I, I think my campaign has been a little more detailed and, and idea driven than most others that I've seen. Got a lot of pushback from people. How many are running and, and what kind of pushback? There's, there, there's only two. There's only two of us. My, my tribe is really uh, politically divided. There's, there's two groups. And we don't, we don't have names, not Democrats and Republicans. Or that, but there's two groups and basically families my grandmother's been the chief of the tribe for three consecutive terms. She took the tribe from a $20 million entity to about a $300 million entity. So she's been very successful in her tenure. Uh, but, but there's another side that is a little more, they, they don't always see eye to eye with her. They are 
more interested in paying out more benefits to tribal members than to grow businesses and become more diverse. And so a lot of those folks just see my last name and my family and make assumptions mm. about me. And so they're not even necessarily disagreeing with my points or what I'm writing or what I'm saying. They're just my last name. And so you get a lot of that. And I'm young. I'm 34. I think I'm the youngest person to ever run for, for council. Congratulations. So I hear a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But I mean, the interesting thing is that I've been getting emails. We have, we have a lot of success with tribal members. We have an economic doctorate professor at Arizona State, and he's been sending me emails. He got my letter and liked them and sent an email. So I find it interesting that, that people like that in the tribe are, are gravitating towards my platforms. So I think I'm doing something right. I don't know if I'll win, but I'm sure well, trying. Based on what so. I've heard so far, I think you have a fair shot, and I hope you do. I appreciate that. When's the when's the election? Like, if I ch- yeah, I check your Twitter, uh, when should I be looking for an announcement? Seventh sure. of seventh of September. Oh, that's not too far away at all. All right, this this is the yeah, last sprint for you, then, man. Yeah, yeah, we're in it. So we'll see. It's man, it's been a trip. There's been a lot of interesting things that have happened. Tribal members can can do some interesting things. So had some weird late night phone calls and all kinds of stuff. Wow. So. Yeah. Well, we really appreciate you coming on the podcast, Skylar. This has been amazing. I have learned a bunch of things that I had, I didn't even know existed. So I, I, I'm going to have to process this a little bit. Do some sure. Wikipedia reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, yeah, I really appreciate the time. Like I said, I wish you guys the best of luck. Well, thank you. It's, it's tough to get something off the ground. I've, I've tried myself. I understand what it's like. So yeah, I wish you the best of luck. I think you guys... It sounds like you're definitely investing the time and you're learning as much as you can. That's that's the biggest piece. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. If people so, if people listen to this and they say because they will likely say Skyler's amazing. Where do I follow? Who do, how do I reach out to? Or I, I follow. Yeah, what's Skyler? your What's your Twitter handle? Yeah, like how how do people follow you, man? Yeah, yeah. Twitter's Twitter's where you get me. I'm, I'm most active there. It's just at sky eight six. Three, okay. Two. Awesome. On Twitter. So I will, there. I will include oh, a link uh, on the show notes for sure. Great. Yeah. I appreciate it. And maybe if you, uh, the results are in September 7th and it's successful, maybe, maybe a follow up uh, episode or something. I want to, I want to hear about how, how, like how sort of, if you win, how that goes and, and what, what that's like, what that new kind of job is like. That would be interesting to say, because <laughs> I have no idea what I'm getting into if I, if I get on the council. It will be, yeah, it will be really interesting. But the Native American community in general is interesting. It's hard to get established mm-hmm. in that world. Uh, so a seat on that council really opens doors for me, both with my tribe and the greater Native American community. So I'm excited to see what happens. Well, there. good luck as we approach these uh, final days of the election then. Yeah, I appreciate it, guys. This has been a lot of fun. Thank you so, so much. Have a great day, and uh, we will talk to you later. Great. Thanks a lot. Take care. Wow. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you found this useful, please drop us a note. Let us know what you liked and what you didn't, and we'll keep creating useful content for you. 
And if you had recently exited a job and you want to talk about what you've learned, reach out. So my email is Zach at HireDelightful.com. You can also DM us at Twitter at underscore HireDelightful um, to light up your podcast. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to learn from your experiences. So please reach out. That does it for us. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Good Thanks. night. Bye.